Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Welcome to the show. As always. Thanks. Yeah. I'm here every week. Yeah, I wasn't talking. Except that I one. Yeah, except oh, for okay. that one, and I also wasn't talking to you. That's fair. Go ahead. All right, let's start the show off right. We got to say sorry. <laughs> what What did we do last week? I don't know. Who are we apologizing to? I don't, I'm trying to remember now, because last week was Mo. Is this from the text? No, it's from, maybe, per, perhaps. Perhaps it is. It's up to you. Because apparently my brother <laughs> called me out for saying, I can't even remember exactly how I said it. What did he say that I said something about dealing with a wife? Because oh I talked about how goodness. when I was in ministry, I was single. Oh. And compared to Josiah and Mo, who had a wife and children while they're doing ministry. Oh, that's so and good. I think I believe I said something along the lines of when you have to deal with your wife or impossible children. Oh, that's pre- and I didn't mean deal with it as in like they're a burden. You have to deal oh, with them. Your but brother. I guess my brother told me that that was a problem and. But as a single, I'm going to defend myself, though, as a single person in ministry, like I could do whatever I wanted. Like I didn't have to worry about like going to football games or going out late, like to hang out with teens or do whatever. Um, Like I didn't have someone else to like say, hey, is it cool if I go do this thing? I'm married now, but I wasn't then. And so like my life is very different. But this is the best part of our text thread because your brother's calling you out. And then you said, dude, don't, you said something about your wife doesn't even listen to our podcast. And I said, well, guess what? Yeah. As soon, so as soon as she starts to listen to it, you might have to deal with the, the consequences. Which was- My wife's listened to like maybe two episodes. Oh. And so, but yeah, so I didn't mean it in like that. You have to deal with your spouse. Like they're a, a burden or a nuisance. I just meant in the context of my life at the time. I, I didn't have to worry about anybody else. I didn't have any pets. I didn't have, like, it was just, I could do whatever I needed to do whenever I wanted. So my wife wasn't in my life at that time. So I don't see how I really insulted her, but I would never refer to her as being dealt with. Your now. brother was just being your brother. And it was the funniest text threat. Yeah. Ever. He was being a so real. A real he's, uh, by the way, Will, the brother I'm talking about is Will, the guy who was on our podcast before. So he's a jerk. Everybody the, just the, so you know. <laughs> and I won't apologize next week for that. The real, cause it's there's true. a real apology I was going to make. Um, and okay. it had to do with gender exclusivity. We definitely were just using gender pronouns for Mo and having bosses and ministries. And we were all, we were saying they were all male. But at the same time, I think we need to probably say our, very clearly that we fully believe that, you know, as a denomination, women are, are fully equipped to be lead pastors, that, that we could have had female bosses as well. The only reason we were using Well, those... I think that speaks to the problem. I've never had a female boss. I've never worked with a woman who is a staff member. Like, well, actually, that's not true. I worked with one who was a staff member with me on, like, that was a female. Like, that's only once in my career. And that's a problem. I know. That's not good. When all of both, yeah, that's, all of that's Mo's, why. all of Mo's bosses were males, which is why we were using the male pronoun. But anyways, we're sorry. We're sorry. I, I need. To, I'm probably gonna have to actually watch that South. It's Park a good episode, episode. I'm not gonna lie. South Park, though. I don't know. It's like, are you still? They have good episodes. Are you still entirely sanctified if you watch that show, though, Byron? That's the real question. I mean, I don't watch it anymore. It's been years. Well, with that being said, let's uh, let's shift gears and we're gonna go to our sponsor. Hooray. Uh, okay, now to the real stuff. If you haven't heard this show before, then maybe you're not aware. We are millennials. We have been in ministry. We are currently in ministry. And we like to have guests on the show that are also millennials in ministry. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for today, Jacoby. Jacoby, are you with us? I am. I am. Jac- Jacoby. Thank you for being here. Seriously, thank you for being here. You are actually the first guest. <laughs> Are you trying out your radio voice? Is that what that was? <laughs> You're the first guest that we've had that we have only been connected via social media. You're the first guest where neither me nor Byron or Byron or I or however that's grammatically correct. We haven't actually met you in person. So this is this is new ground for us. This is awesome. So thank you for being willing to be on this show with us. It's an honor, man. It's an honor. So give us a little bit about yourself for those that, that might know. Give us your full name if you're all right with it. Give us your age because it's kind of important. We, we said you're a millennial, but we're going to test that in a second. And then tell us where you're at and briefly what you're doing. All right. So I'm Jacoby Campbell, <clears throat> and I'm 33. <clears throat> I'm 28 on Facebook. And <laughs> but that's a, there's a story behind that later on. Um, and uh, I'm at uh, Bell Road Church in Nazarene in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Nashville, Tennessee. How long have you been there? I just walked into my fourth year. So, and this is, you're a lead pastor there, right? I'm sorry? You're a, you're a lead pastor there? <clears throat> yes. And then I'll and take this is, term senior. <laughs> you don't want to be called a senior pastor? No. The lead's yeah. great. Me neither, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, this is the first time you've been a lead pastor, correct? Yes. That's awesome. Okay, dude, this is going to be great. Before we get in more uh, into more of the details of you being a pastor and being a millennial, we're going to test the whole millennial thing. Because while you're 33 or maybe 28, which is <laughs> maybe a millennial thing in and of itself, we're going to put to the test and run you through the how millennial are you? So are you ready for that, Jacoby? I think I am. You think you are? I kn- I asked you to listen to a show because I know I actually don't have as much history with you, so I didn't want you to be offended. But for the record, this section is intentionally uh, stereotypical and rude for the sake of confronting said stereotypes. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Jacoby. I assume you probably are. Millennials don't come across great in the news or just generally in the world. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've you've heard that or not, but... We, we aren't generally uh, well-liked for whatever reason. Terrible stuff, man. I like millennials on TV, by the way. You like millennials on TV? You know, the, the uh, Crocs with no socks, uh, flip-flops, no socks, um, shorts that don't match, uh, the shirt. Love it. You're down, you're down with the millennial culture, even though sometimes news headlines paint us in a very negative light. <laughs> you, I, I, you know what? Uh, not all the time. Uh, I just think we're misunderstood. I think so, too. So let's let's try to be better understood by confronting them <laughs> by pretending to insult you with very stereotypical questions. Are you ready? Ready. All right, let's get it. All right. Byron, you're up. Okay, so um, the first question is, why are you so stressed? So there's lots of articles and stuff about out there about how we can't deal with working hard or we're obsessed with our workload or whatever. So why are you so stressed? Uh, because the generation before us messed it up, so now we got to fix their mistake. <laughs> While progressing, <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. It's coming out hard, man. man. I like it. All right, coming out the <laughs> gate strong. All right, second question. What would you say, Jacoby, is the root cause for your entitlement? Ooh, uh, <laughs> earning it, I think, would be the, the biggest the biggest one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right, great. Firing. <laughs> Well, along those lines of your entitlement, maybe it's your student loan debt. Um, so why did you choose to go into so much debt? Why did you personally make the choice that you could, you know, why didn't you just go to school being rich or something, you know? <laughs> I wish I had rich parents. Uh, that would have been, a, <laughs> uh, that would have been great. <laughs> I mean, we assume you have student debt, but I'm, it might be worth asking. Are you actually in student debt? I'm not, actually. Um, my student oh, debt lucky. was paid off by a patron. Uh, let's go, Rebecca. Uh, someone... Uh, from there, I don't know who or when or where, but they completely paid my loans. So, so otherwise, that's fantastic. Otherwise, you'd be in major student debt, I would assume. Oh, all passes are. We're, we love debt. Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> but we're not supposed to be in debt because the Bible says. But I, so the stat is something like we're as a generation we're collectively one trillion dollars in debt. Yes, just to student loans, which is crazy. <sighs> I'm waiting for the year of Jubilee. <laughs> right? I'm, yeah, I'm, waiting all for that. I'm waiting for that. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. Well, moving away from just the general egocentric nature of how millennials and you particularly are, Jacoby, let's shift gears to all that you have ruined. I'm not sure if you've seen, but many news articles would say that we ruin all sorts of things. Most recently, this is a fun one, we have been accused of ruining modern day publishing. So, why do you hate modern day publishing or why do you just hate publishing in general so much? Why, I guess really the question is, why do you hate books? Wow. I hate the people. I don't hate books. I just have an ought with people who control what books come out. So skip them. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's an interesting <laughs> take. So you're kind of owning that. Maybe I did ruin it and I'm okay with it. Well, I'm as, as someone who's uh, who's an avid reader. I think that most of the greatest books I get are, are digital only. You know, they won't get True. published. And I think that's True the key story. thing. We also ruined Blockbuster, by the way. We we ruined Blockbuster <laughs> with because Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's probably earned. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, here's a good one. Um, why did you ruin the Bible? Oh. And this is in reference to. Uh, there's a lot of reasons we we can go with a lot of ways with this, but uh, in particular, we're looking at apparently a couple millennials made an illustrated Bible for adults, not for children. <laughs> so why would you want to ruin the Bible? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm so sorry for whoever <laughs> thought that the word of God can be ruined, but uh, <laughs> I don't, maybe, I don't know. I think that, you know, I think that people that I've read, talked to, I've been accused of this actually, um, of ruining the Bible. And I just said, no, I just refuse to make it American. Oh, so what were you doing that was ruining it? I want to hear now. Well, <laughs> taking it from the cultural context, you know what I mean? Like, instead of just saying, Oh man, Jesus said we're the salt of the earth, and and so we're here to preserve it. I'm like, no, no. He was talking mass to a whole bunch of people who was following him, just to see who really wanted to follow him. So technically, he was being direct and kind of rude. Jesus is never rude. Have you read the red letters? <laughs> go to a funeral and say, everybody, leave the church. Let the dead bury the dead. Okay, let's go. We're gonna no. Yeah, and, yeah. that's gonna go over real well. I can tell you that people are gonna be really appreciative of those words. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, next question. Next question, Jacoby. Again, this is based on all sorts of news outlets and all sorts of reporting. Why do you love socialism so much, even though God is obviously capitalistic? (laughs) Whoa. Speaking of the year of Jubilee. Yeah, right. Uh, That's never happened. Um, (laughs) Wow. No, I I don't know anything about that. I heard Jesus was Republican, but I didn't believe that either. (laughs) Um, I I just thought he was a poor Jew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wow! Well. I mean, that's that's what the Bible says. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, uh, so generally speaking, you don't just love all things socialism because there's an election coming up, and that's all people are talking about. I don't think as Christians we should be political to begin with. You know, I don't think that's our place to be. I think politics ruin our scope of the real need. You know, if if you are hardcore Republican, and I tell you, hey, there's some uh, people from. Mexico that are in need on the corner of the street crying because they have nowhere to go and let's go feed them. Well, some people have an ought with that. In fact, I've run into it and I'm out there saying, Hey, here's these illegal immigrants. We're going to feed them and give them a place to stay. And they're going to be like, no, baby Jesus wouldn't like that. And it's like, nope, nope. Baby Jesus was a refugee. So um, I think that it ruins our aspect of who Jesus is. In fact, there's not an American flag in the church I go to. We don't do that. We're, we're here to worship Jesus. We worship God. That's it. So, so you're ruining something else, basically, is American Christianity. You've ruined it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He sounds as genuine as I do. I'm sorry <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> All right. Go, Byron. Next question. All right. Shifting gears once again um, <clears throat> to the uh, to appalling things that you love. What's the deal with your love affinity with avocados? They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay do you have a do you have a store of avocados in your kitchen right now somewhere i have florida avocados and mexico avocados in the house right now i have a seed planted that will never grow but i'm Dude, hopeful that is hilarious because exactly the same thing is going on in my house right now. <laughs> oh my goodness and i still wonder i would love if any of our seasoned saints our boomers or our, some of our older listeners would tell us do you also like avocados we did actually have someone post something on facebook saying that one of their new favorite breakfast things is avocado and scrambled egg uh sandwiches in the morning so i don't think it's just a millennial thing but we definitely bear the brunt of the whole avocado thing so (laughs) is it also maybe a regional thing though like california like we said before avocados are everywhere yeah you can't walk three feet without kicking but he's in nashville so I know, but he's a millennial. Yeah, okay. I'm saying, does the older generation in that part of the country just love avocados because they're readily available? I assume Florida has some too. It would make sense. I mean, to I would me. think that they would like them. I've seen because they're available. I've seen a lot of older Hispanic people down in guacamole and avocados, and it's just because it's there. So that makes perfect like, sense to me. My parents love avocados. Yeah, I still think they're disgusting oh, and slimy okay. and weird. Okay, Jacoby, but... tell us: Do the older people in Nashville like avocados? We're in the South, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so is that a no? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't see a lot of avocado getting pushed around uh, the retirement homes around here. Um, okay. So, so okay. <laughs> but real quick, I have, I have beef with this real quick. You're in the South. You're not in the Midwest? No, I'm South. Tennessee, South. But isn't that's the, that's the South? But isn't Missouri or Missouri, however you're, whoever you're talking, isn't that 
west, Missouri, west correct. of you, but then also the Midwest, but you're just as far north. Okay, but just uh, I've tried to explain this before. <laughs> Parts of Missouri are also in the south, according to I people know. who live there. I know. Where this I lived is the in beef the I have. Hill, which touched Tennessee, <laughs> that was the south. Okay. And if I said it was the Midwest, people go, no, we live in the south. It's not this Kansas City, St. Louis, Midwest crap. They so were, it's like, they were it's, firmly it's in the much south. More, it's much more. So, Jacoby, is it fair to say it's much more cultural than actual directions? Uh, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. The South is something new. It's, 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 it's honestly, I have, no, I have no experience with it. So, I'm Don't still... do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thank, thanks for the advice. It's a culture shock from everybody I know from the North or from the West. And they come, to, it's always like, what is going on here? <laughs> it also depends if you're white or black, though. It depends, you know. Uh, I'd say that would make a big difference. Yeah, you I probably have think. a good time down there as far as, <laughs> as, as if, like, you know, somebody else come down Jacobi, there. Jacoby, what are you trying to say? What, what kind of a good time am I going to have in the South? Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's, you know, you're not going to end up on a Facebook viral video. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, oh, I get oh, you. Okay. <laughs> but, I get uh, you. Here, here's what you will experience, though. People saying appalling things to you because they assume you're racist because you're yes. white. Oh yeah, it will tickle. I I did not like my time in the south, like the south part of Missouri. Like there's there was nice people there. I, there were some good things there, but I was appalled with the blatant racism, especially in the church I worked at. Oh my goodness! They would say and do terrible things. I just look at them and say, "What is wrong with you? Like this is not okay." And I was the one who got ostracized for for defending people of color because. There's nothing wrong with being not white. Mm. Like I'm serious, man. It's it it'll slap you in the face. Like it's it's appalling. That's crazy. Like I, I knew people who bla- le- legitimately believe that God made people of color as less important than white people. <clears throat> in 2015 and 16, I met that that kind of attitude. I still hear. And they will tell you that blatantly. It's ridiculous, Ooh, brother. I face it all the time. Oh, I've been I'm sure you people. do. Like, I can't imagine How's that. it like being a pastor over that white congregation? I said, just like pastoring any congregation. I don't, we, <laughs> I don't understand. You know, this is not a gift. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a calling, which means there are good days and bad days just like anything else. I mean, you, you True know, that, man. True it's that. It's like, geez. I mean, I have one guy, he goes, but you're pastoring the Lily White Church. And I'm like, actually, it's red. Uh, made out of ten <laughs> with steel beams. <laughs> but okay, you know what I mean, referring to the building. Wow, man, that's pretty great, dude. Oh man. Okay, well, sorry, we Jeez. got we got off on a. That was my bad, guys. We got to finish this how millennial are you thing for Jacoby to prove he's millennial apparently. <clears throat> so next question, and this is gonna feel very silly after the serious bout of conversation we just had. Uh, Jacoby, if you're honest, do you spend more money on coffee than retirement? Well, if you'd asked me two months ago, I'd say coffee. Uh, but uh, I just put a, I just, I just, I just made a major leap uh, due to the Compass Initiative into my retirement. So I'd go retirement. Dude, the Compass Initiative is a lifesaver. Oh my goodness, it is. I'm in it too. I'm about to graduate in like two months. I'm so excited. Congrats! I'm only four months in. Congrats, man. Awesome, dude. Keep it up because it's good. Well, that's good. So I'm glad you're not a stereotype. Well done. <laughs> Compass Initiative is working. Shout out to the Compass Initiative. <laughs> All right. Um, here's another one that's going to be pretty. Tell us a lot about you. How many selfies have you taken of yourself of today? Like th- this day, how many times have you taken a picture of yourself? Zero. I don't do selfies. None at all. No. Oh, so you're not a stereotype. That's oh. annoying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do have a question about that, and I don't know if this is the right place to talk about it, but is that a white person thing? 100%. Um, I kind of thought so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that goes, I think it's like a self-esteem thing, and and I'm I'm me, you know what I mean? Like, I've never needed anyone to validate me, so... I don't need a bunch of pictures of myself. I know what I look like, you know what I mean? I'm the image of God to over-pasteurize it, but, uh, you know, no, I don't do selfies. My wife does, I don't. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> All right, last question, last and final question, Jacoby, and you will have survived the how millennial are you question game show time game break thing. You're a male, you're a millennial, and we'll see if this transcends race. Do you have a beard? I do. <laughs> that's it, man. I, literally every male guest has a beard. 
the only Except one. Except for one. No. Who grew it now, though? He's he got has it now. one now, though. That's the thing. He didn't, That's but the best now part. he does. So it's a self-fulfilling. We kind of bullied him, bullied him into growing one, I think. I think we should take credit for that. Holy peer pressure. I love it. <laughs> Holy peer <laughs> <laughs> Uh Well, I don't know. I don't know how many you got right. I kind of lost track. But it seems like you had a mix of things that you were pretty stereotypical and things that you weren't. But as always, I like to remind us that Sometimes we like to label things, but then we dehumanize them when, when we're labeling people. But people have names. So it's, it's much more important to, to learn a person, to build a relationship instead of operating based on stereotypes because stereotypes are destructive and dehumanize. So let's maybe not do that. And in the spirit of that, let's get to know this guy named Jacoby a little bit more. Jacoby, give us just a little bit more background on you, your education, your ministry experience, how long you've been pastoring. Okay, so <clears throat> I went to Trevecca, whoop, whoop, theology, uh, education. Before that, I went to uh, um, BCTC now. It was Bluegrass Community College. When I went, it was like Lexington Community College. And uh, I studied uh, logistics. Uh, you know, it basically it tells you how to break down an argument using mathematical equations. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, I win debates. Um, <laughs> so uh, in uh, experience in ministry, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Uh, and uh, what I found out, I wasn't a youth pastor. I was a youth leader because I didn't have a district license. And that changes your title, I guess. So I was doing everything a youth pastor did, but I wasn't a youth pastor. I was a youth leader because I didn't have a piece of paper. But um, so that was 10 years. And then uh, I went to, and that's when I became the pastor over here, uh, right after that. And before that, in business, I was, I was in uh restaurants and then i got to finance so i did finance for eight years uh you know balancing a budget for a, a company a 500 million dollar budget uh Man. you know overseeing construction and training so yeah <laughs> so have you have you been bivocational for a lot of your ministry life yeah for the for the first you know 10 to 12 years of ministry i was bivocational i wanted to enter this job bivocational i, I have much respect and regard for bivocational ministry it's real life man it gets you out in the real world, right? Outside of the four walls of, of the church or where your church office is. And it gives you the chance to actually make some real connections with people that might not show up on your, your doorstep on a Sunday morning. Yeah, what better way is it to tell people how to tell people, instruct people how to um, minister and evangelize in their context than actually being in a similar context that they're in and seeing results from it. And it's like it's like dating in high school, you know. You got those same girls there eight hours a day, you know. And, and sooner or later, one of them warm up to you. you mean, that's oh my goodness, dude! That is the most amazing <laughs> metaphor for evangelism. It's like dating in high school. Eventually, someone's gonna give in. Oh my god! They'll listen oh, to you. Wow. At least they'll go on one date, you know. And and I don't mean that in like you know, oh god, I'm not sexist or anything, but it goes first, vice versa for guys, for girls and guys too. Absolutely, and you're stuck in somewhere for hours. My wife was one of those. She hated me for two years, but I married her. You know what I'm saying? I wore her so, down. So you wore her down, <laughs> and you might be maybe you're also a good salesman or something, man. Oh my goodness. So speaking of that, that's a great that's a great uh, conversation track because we like to ask every guest, particularly since they're millennials, particularly since the conversations we have revolve around that generation and their absence from church, largely. Uh, what your definition of that thing is that we call church and what you're participating in when we talk about ministry. So in your own words, what is church? Church to me is people moving as one under one mission, under one umbrella, which is Christ, and um, accomplishing the goal of getting the lost. That's church. Beautiful. So then give me... Give me your thoughts on, on why you're still a part of it. Or maybe instead, have you ever thought about leaving it since you are a millennial and that is kind of a stereotype driven by a lot of research? Yeah. I was at Javeca and that was like, a, you know, when I went to Javeca, I became a functioning atheist uh, because it was, uh, you know, I saw a lot of things I didn't, you know, appreciate. You know, I was with a whole bunch of religion majors and they were sneaking girls in other rooms and, you know, they wouldn't get in trouble for it, um, you know, because there are big names in the church or their mm. father and fathers with big names. And and I just saw a whole bunch of hypocrisy going on. And these people are leading worship and and preaching at churches. You know, I went to several churches in the district. I'm not going to call them out. 
because I'm really friends, good friends with their, with their pastor that they have now, so I'll leave it alone. Uh, for six months as a student, me and my wife did fiance at the time, and no one in leadership ever approached us. And and yet we had a friend, you know, a white friend to go there and, and, you know, two weeks later, they were part of the leadership team. You know what I mean? Intern, intern. And it was all for giggles. You know what I mean? That person ended up, like I said, I just did this to see the difference. And I was like, dude, it's there. So I didn't like it because I didn't want that God. You know what I mean? If this is what it meant, I didn't want it. This is, you know, so organized church. I wanted out of it. And then the first was I didn't want anything to do with God. Then I was like, okay, God, it's not you. (laughs) You know what I mean? These are the people. Yeah, and, uh, and so I really had a reviving moment, and uh, I came back in, and and I said, God, if you still want me to go into ministry, I'll I'll do whatever, you know. I just I just understand now that if I do this, I'm going to be the guy on the outside looking in, because I'm never going to conform to what I see, because I don't see any of Him in it. Got it. So then that kind of answers the why you're still a part of it. It seems like. You had you had a pretty significant moment where you had some conversations with God, but to to further that question, we ask our guests this this next question as well: Are there things that you still love about the church? Yeah, potlucks. So <laughs> I, I freaking love potlucks. Uh, the reason why I love potlucks because I think potluck dinners are the are what the church is. It's what the church is. It's a whole bunch of something that was put together. And every dish they make has a history you don't know about, but they're glad to share it with you. And you know what I mean? If you don't like this person's one thing, that's fine. Because have a couple more, you'll find something you like. And to me, it represents what we're supposed to be, a hodgepodge of just traditions, of past, of wants, of needs, and just put on the table, and everyone gets to get a piece of it. And you know, it's like a, when you ingest it biblically, it becomes a part of you. And that's what I believe. That's why I love potlucks. That's why I love about the church is if a church is functioning under what it's supposed to be, then, man, potlucks are, are to me, spiritual. You yeah, see me my Bill Rodies. They've caught me over-spiritualizing potlucks before. And, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never heard potlucks spoken of so spiritually. It's always just, you know, I want to feed my belly, but that's great. <laughs> Dude, that's one of the literally one of the best things I've heard on this podcast. <laughs> like I've never thought about it that deep. Like we we grew up going to potlucks too. Like it's a Nazarene thing. Now you're in the South, so I bet that's a little more common than it is like out here now. But like that's like that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> I'm so happy right now, dude. That was amazing. <laughs> now next time we participate in the podcast, we'll have the spiritual dimension to to you know ponder as well as the the physical that we get to just partake in. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right, so. This next question, it might take more than just a one-line answer, but I'm just going to ask it very simply. It's going to be a yes or no, and then we'll go from there. Is that fair? Fair. You think the church needs some fixing? Yes. All right. Let's let's talk about that. So I'm sure there's a a couple things, and me and Byron have shared our thoughts on on, one or two on what may or may not need fixing, but I'm sure there's maybe some specifics you have that you're, you're thinking about, particularly since you've already brought us one of the stuff in the millennial pastor or in the how millennial are you segment, stereotype segment of the, of the, the show. But, but you already touched on a little bit, I think, of maybe some of the uniqueness. You said you're like this outsider looking in, and you, I, I guess you said that some people were giving you grief because you're pastoring an all-white church. Is that, is that currently going on right now? Well, I get grief about it simply because, you know, I, I just tell people it's church, right? So, like, it's all about my label, you know, the identity they give the church. Well, here is, oh, you want a church of, oh, you want to go to Bill Road because they got a black pastor at a white church. And, and that's not our identity. And that, that speaks more to the people that label it that, that way. And so I'm on a crusade to say, hey, guys, this is church. And if you were honest about it, uh, we should say, oh, that's a white pastor pastoring an all white church. But over here, we're having church. Because everybody's here, you know, the way the Bible intended. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a bigger issue, uh, that, that it speaks more to the, the group that labels it such than, the, 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 than what it does for the gospel. Picture this, man. You you're, want to know who Jesus is. And you say, hey, I want a church, man. I want to go to a church that's like, you know, Walmart. And someone tells you, it's like, oh, well, over on the corner there, there's a, there's a black pastor pastoring a white church. Now, what does that tell you? about God, you know, it's, it's very limiting. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's abnormal. Like, that's a weird thing that we got going over there. Like but, the three-eyed fish in The Simpsons. But sadly enough, yeah, right? <laughs> but but sadly enough, is that not the first thing that a person might say about your church? I mean, is that kind of the reality of the situation? It's a reality in, in denominations that it's not reoccurring. Like, my non-denom pastor friends are like, this is every day for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is every day for us. But those who are indoctrinated by mainstream denominations, for the most part, like, you got your AMEs, right? You know what I mean? Then you got the United Methodist. You know what I mean? And they're duking and, it out lately, yeah. Yeah, and you see that. But, in, you know, in, in other denominations, you know, like the Nazarene Church, it's like we're still living in 1950, and I can just keep hearing Malcolm X saying, the most segregated hour in, in the world is high noon on Sunday. And it's like, why is this still the way that it is? It's because people still like to differentiate. If someone was to come to Bell Road, I'm sure they'll have a lot different, a lot, a lot more to say uh, than an aspect. In fact, it, it's Minosha here. It's just like we're people. And, and, and the thing with me is I always retort and say, take your baptism seriously or don't do it at all. Because when you get baptized, it's, it's, it's an outside show of what happened on the inside, which means before that even started, you died to yourself. That is your worldly identity. And unfortunately for some, unfortunately for others, that's your race, too, which is a human construct regardless. Yeah. Only one race. But that divide still, I think, is a bit of that sin nature that continues on. I took my baptism seriously and I get really crazy comments about that too, because I'm like, Hey man, you, you know, you're a black pastor. I'm just a pastor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, well, that's that human construct you're talking about where Paul, you know, Paul, Paul talks about this. Oftentimes one of the, the ones that always comes to my mind is there's no, neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Like putting aside all the human constructs, all the human labels, all the human parameters on things and reminding ourselves that we are made new into the image of Christ, which transcends all of that nonsense. Well, yeah. it's, it's talking about identity, though, too. Like, even the Greco-Roman world was very much male versus female. Um, and so he was going against the grain in a lot of ways. And we have the same kind of thing, because like, they also had, you know, if you're a Roman citizen, you're special. If, you know, all that racial stuff was there, too. But, like, if we're truly followers of Christ, we're one in Christ, which means... I don't hate the people who are next to me because of some dumb thing that is completely a worldly issue. That doesn't make any logical sense within the gospel's context. But well, the church we... has not been logical for years. Exactly. <laughs> but the church continues to rely on those dumb, illogical things and say, well, this is important. No, it's really not. <laughs> what are we doing here? Do we love right. each other? Do you love your enemy? Are you really, do you actually believe the words of Christ? That's one of the best things I've ever read and then actually ask people like when we read like a, a tough text, be like, do you think Jesus is like, do you think we should be doing this? Should we sell all of our things and give it to the poor and then follow him? Like, do you think he meant those words? There's a book called Red Letter Revolution. And then the subtitle is what if Jesus really meant what he said? And that's all it's about. And it's such a convicting, powerful, you know, you have to super examine your own life choices thing because that's what it's about. You either take it seriously That's, or you don't. That book is a throat punch in binding. Like, <laughs> What's the name of the it's book? It's rough. <laughs> it's called it's called Red Letter Revolution. Um, what it's Jesus by Shane Claiborne and, and Tony uh, Campolo. To yeah, Tony Campolo. Yeah, but it's it, really good. But <clears throat> it's a, it's a good book that addresses that exact topic of, hey guys, what if Jesus really meant what he said? Then we should probably consider what it means for us to live it out. Which which is because it's one thing you know ideally. You would say that if we talk, we've talked about this on past uh, episodes, the church ideally, hopefully would be, you know, at the forefront of kind of confronting racial divides and, and injustices and that sort of a thing. It should maybe look different than the world around it, but it doesn't always look that way. And that's actually one. it was interesting. One of the things that first put you on my radar, Jacoby, was an issue that I, I kind of had hoped would be just a that's outside of the church, but it wasn't. Um, and it was a video you had posted that ended up just being shared everywhere. 
um, at least in Nazarene circles. Um, and I sent you a friend request to me. I'm like, I need to know this dude better. But it was a video where, where you um, were basically confronted and maybe almost nearly assaulted for wearing Nikes. Is that, is that, was that right? Am I remembering that right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's the truth. Yeah. And you were just yeah. in, you were just like in a Walmart, right? I, I didn't say the store name, but yeah. I was oh, in the sorry. Store. <laughs> I just assumed, man. I just assumed it must have been in a Walmart. Sorry, that's my bad. But uh, essentially, you know, I, I, we had those conversations because Colin Kaepernick, and it's like, okay, great. We can kind of maybe agree to disagree on that. But even if, within our, in my own church and in other churches, I was hearing the same rhetoric that was being shared outside of the church, and I was kind of hoping maybe we can get past some of that stuff. So I, I never told you this, Jacoby, um, but we actually just played your video on a Wednesday night during one of our discussions and just had that up. I said, guys, this is a Nazarene pastor's take on all this stuff that divides us. And this is actually his life experience. And it really led to some super fruitful discussion. But for me, it was this kind of, you know, gut check for a minute. It's like, oh, man, we are still dealing with some stuff that I had maybe optimistically hoped we didn't need to deal with anymore. And I guess that's probably something you live out on a regular basis, right? Most definitely, unfortunately. It, it's, it's always been since, I mean, let's just set the stage, right? So, like, um, African-Americans in general are only 54 years out of bondage, right? So, if you put it, everyone thinks it's like billions of years ago. 54 <laughs> years, okay? So, there is no other people on Earth that's that close, okay? And so... You, you got to understand that there's still people teaching people that this was the golden age of humanity. And you can look at today's time and how things are pushed upon Hispanics and illegal immigrants and say this times a million was what it was 54 years ago on black people. OK. And um, and so I was always raised to understand that. Um, there was a deeper understanding of grace amongst, in, in America at least, amongst uh, African Americans than it is on any other any other race on uh, in the country because we've had to show more grace forcibly, and then voluntarily, uh, you know, over the last fifty four years. I never really admit I, I accepted that. I always thought we all are supposed to, as the Bible says, give grace as grace been given to us. But that particular situation was the toughest <laughs> amongst them all, uh, you know, be because I had to understand that the real victim in that was them. Yeah. It wasn't me. They were coming at you using terrible language, stereotype, all sorts of things. And fortunately, I mean, I guess it didn't end poorly for you. People were there that saw what was happening. But in that moment, you had to decide how you were going to respond to what was happening, which was just it's just crazy to even think about. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to live your sermons and I just preached on grace right before that day. So, <laughs> so it was real, but see that, that was the thing that I kind of, I guess had hoped optimistically that that was totally outside the church, but still within the church, there are so many things that maybe we're even just completely blind to, um, especially pertaining to what you're talking about with, with race, um, and just segregation and leftovers from from what many would call the golden age in this country. You, in fact, you told me the story. I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this. You now have a rep on your district, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you have a rep, and this seriously made me laugh so much. What is your reputation? And you need to tell us all about it, everything about it. This is just amazing. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm called the, the guy who threw Jesus in the trash can. Um, <laughs> And uh, I just <laughs> don't stop listening, okay? No. <laughs> Some oh, people right yeah. now, your people are clicking off it when they when they. When no, they you got to but... you got to continue <laughs> listening. He, he threw <laughs> Jesus away for a good reason, which is right, weird so... for a pastor to say. But yes, we're gonna keep going. <laughs> so I'm in my office. Uh, this is uh, my first year, maybe like first three months of, of pastoring, and uh, it's VBS. And one, my daughter, my middle child, Kai, my sweetie, comes in there, and she's all distraught because the lady made her kiss Jesus. And I say, excuse me. Uh, because I'm not happy at my daughter being made to do anything that, you know. So I uh, kind of find out that I asked around, and it was a picture of Jesus, blue-eyed, brown hair, blonde hair, you know, Fabio <laughs> Jesus. And uh, and so I made a comment to one of the board members, and I said, man, I cannot stand having pictures of Jesus around. And, uh, well, 
come to find out, he went out and started yanking down all the pictures of Jesus and just passed once them all down. So he was yanking them all down. Uh, the lady comes storming up the hallway. And I mean, I'm standing by my words, right? Because I said it. I just didn't mean it to be like today. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, her and her husband come blaring in the office, man. I mean, going, oh, man, they were yelling. It was, you know, all mean face. Team was going. And I'm just sitting there like, you got to calm down. And I just get a coloring sheet and I color Jesus in and, and I color his eyes red and his horns and his hair, you know, and I'm coloring it with horns and well, black eyes, red face and, and fire hair and horns on him. And it's like, he, 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 by the time that I had the picture finished, he was like, his eyes, do you see the pictures of his eyes? And it's holding up this little pocketbook picture of white Jesus. And I said, you mean these eyes? And she's like, oh, oh you my know, goodness. blasphemy. How could you do that to Jesus? I'm like, no, this is a coloring sheet. This is a coloring sheet. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Remember, the, you know, and it was like, I mean, a blow up and ended up being uh, an attenuation of that is we got to have a meeting a meeting about it and i had like three different pictures of jesus i knew that the first image was caesar borgia and then the other one was done in 1950 during jim crow and, mm. and, and you know what i mean and, and the effect of that and and that you know if we believe that god is is the trinity right god the father son and holy spirit we're not supposed to have any images of him why is this okay do we or don't we believe that jesus is god too because oh. if he is why have a graven image and then say it's okay? You don't have to connect to Christ that way. Remember, God made us in his image, which means we need to connect to one another. You know what I mean? Not to this picture of white Jesus validates which all be, your actions. Which becomes an idol in and of itself, right? Just the yeah. image, the artist's interpretation and depiction. That You said you were called blasphemous, right? Is that I heard you right. Yes. Okay, so the same thing was leveled at me. It's not as cool as your story. Your story is way better. <laughs> but um, but I got a, a legit Amazon review of my book, and the, the, the review was, the book is great. The cover is blasphemous. And, <laughs> and, and I was 100% building on what you're talking about here, and I, I'm going to ask you to unpack it a little more in a second. But I took that white Jesus that you're talking about, and I just made him hipster to confront the stereotype even more. But for me, it's this social commentary on how much we would rather make Jesus more like us, more palatable, more, you know, comfortable. So for me, it's like, Hey, if the book is called the millennial pastor, I'm going to make Jesus real hipstery. And I didn't make it. My, my buddy Cassidy Hale, he made Jesus and he's an amazing artist. He, he did awesome work on it, but he's just the typical hipster. You know, he's got, he's even got the hipster glasses with the Nazarene dove logo on it. And he's nice. He's got a nose ring, which seriously gets me in so much trouble. Like just that alone, it gets me in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> but it was my own little kind of, you know, rebel against why is this the, this is Jesus apparently. Like this becomes almost an idol. But for, for me, it's one thing because Jesus kind of looks like me. But can you tell us more about why it was so upsetting, particularly to your daughter or just why any African-American going to a church with white Jesus on the walls might cause an issue? Well, it was a sign of oppression. Uh, you know, that was the Jesus in which, you know, that was the Jesus in which they were showed to slaves and, and they're in Jim Crow. It was right, you know, right in front of them, behind the judges when they hit the gavel, you know what I mean? To say, hey, bing, 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 uh, you know, you're going to jail for something you didn't do, right? Whistling a white girl because Jesus made us perfect. So it is, it is, a, it is a sign of oppression and it's, it's a way to demonstrably reduce every other culture and say we're the master race because jesus somehow in africa was born with blonde hair and blue eyes and no one knew he was different then he went and escaped to egypt with blonde hair and blue eyes and pale skin and no one could say that he stood out anyway <laughs> and it's just it's just it's just the most uh, uh, you know, confounding thing in the world for, for me particularly and for my kids, you know, they want to identify with Jesus now because now, though they can identify with Jesus, well, maybe, maybe we need to too. And then you got black Jesus with dreads and then Hispanic <laughs> Jesus without it. And then you got, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You, you know, you Korean Jesus. Jesus yeah. Korean Je and it's like, why do we need that, right? Do we believe in ascension? If we believe in ascension, then we understand that Jesus is still at the throne. And when we get there, we can see and settle it and figure out how uh, erroneous it would have, it really is compared to the mission that we're sitting here to do. Uh, and let me tell you, man, 
we no longer have a Jesus in this church. And you know what? This church has never been closer together because we, we're not worried about it. We go to other churches and they have a big picture. Now the Bell Roadies, white, black, and indifferent, look at their picture. Like, look at them with that picture. <laughs> Why they got that thing? You know what I mean? I mean, they're starting to, you know, to, to unplug from that. Like, I can't believe I spent my whole life thinking that Jesus was in my pocket or he was in the, I can, if he's in your pocketbook, you can leave your pocketbook at home. Mm -hmm. If he's on your wall, you can leave the room. But if he's in your heart, there's a whole other level of accountability. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that again, those images, man, oh, they just scream supremacy, whether it's white supremacy or black supremacy, it just screams supremacy. And like you quoted from the Bible, it's like, no, we're one. I should have a picture of you guys, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In my house and say, this is the kingdom. You know what I mean? This is made in God's image. We're his totems. And if you have a picture of Jesus, I become less of a totem. I just become some man off the street. Which is so interesting because just pointing it out. I mean, we, me and Byron grew up with that Jesus. Like the Jesus that's on the cover of my book, if you take off his hipster stuff. That's the Jesus that I can remember very clearly. I mean, it's probably the one you took off that wall. Let's be real. I mean, it's probably the exact same picture. It, it might they have... all look, I mean, it's like the same pictures all over, especially Nazarene churches I've been to. It's the same white Jesus. It's the same picture. I don't know who that artist was, but they must be rich because it's everywhere. As long as they did their licensing deal right, they probably That's made true. a lot of money. But hmm. it could be some knockoffs. Maybe we have some counterfeit fake white Jesuses or whatever. <laughs> but, but just... Just calling that out, though, it almost forces people to to come to an account of something that they were unaware of. Maybe they did have a bias. Maybe they did have, you know, I, I wouldn't I mean, maybe it was racist in motivation or maybe it was just simply ignorance and they didn't consider that. But what you seemed to have done was kind of redirect people back to just the basics of what it means to follow Jesus, that it transcends all of that stuff. So the reaction, I know you say you have a rep. Right. You have a rep. So I bet sometimes that that might always might not always be the best rep or maybe it's really awesome rep for some people. I don't know. But have have these conversations redirected uh, those in, in your ministry towards authentically following Jesus? Uh, let me tell you this, man. You know, I, we talked about it earlier uh, that um, sometimes being a pastor of a church with a building kind of handcuffs you. Yeah. Well, some of the people that I think are the most impacted are handcuffed to not really addressing that. And I know that it's, it's, it's their decision to be faithful to that. And, uh, you know, but they're like, I totally agree with you, but I can never say that. And, you know, and, and, and so I, I, I used to have an issue, you know, coward, you know. Uh, but I think ultimately maybe that's their, not their cross to bear. You know, I don't know what the issue is, but I find that there are more leaders because theologians in general know that that's not Jesus, right? Yeah. You don't have to really study too much in the Bible to really know. So if you have a degree in theology or an avid Bible reader or studier, you know. And, and so because of that, I think that it awakens some. But I often think that you remember the story, the parable of Jesus and the rich man? Mm hmm and he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, sell everything that you have and then follow me, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like, like, like there's, there's, these, there's these people and Jesus is standing there and he's telling them, like, listen, you want to get a close relationship with me, give up that image. And too many people are like that rich man. And they're like, no, no, I can't do it. You know, I can't give this up because it connects me to God. And I think, honestly, to make to get people to do that, you have to then denounce your your heritage, what your mom taught you, your grandfather taught you, your grandfather taught them, and it's like people take it the wrong way. It's like you don't have to denounce them, you just have to understand that you right now have information either they knew it didn't tell you, or that needs that you need to know. And the question isn't what do I have to give up to to believe in this? It's are you willing to believe in this? Yeah. So then a follow-up to that, to be this follower of Jesus, to, to be willing to be part of this kingdom, to be willing to, to bear the image of Christ, to, to not play by human constructs and standards, but to live into that new image. Do we have a choice but to address issues like this? I mean, in your, in your, in your perspective, in your opinion, because here, here's why I ask that. I can almost guarantee you, I can hear it right now. There are some that might say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, do, not that... do we have a choice? Do we have no. a choice? 
You know there's no choice to do. No, and if it wasn't a big deal, it'd be down by now. The people, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, it's, like it's a lie sitting in your church. The building is supposed to only forward the biblical image of the kingdom, right? Remember, the Garden of Eden was reflected on in the temple in Exodus, right? And yeah. the temple is represented of what we believe to be heaven above. The church is now our emblem of that trinity of trinities, right? Of the Eden, the temple, and heaven. And we're sitting there with a lie, a well-known lie. <laughs> that is the most frustrating thing in the world. I hate to get all aggressive, but it's frustrating. <laughs> and it's like, you're a man of God, a woman of God, and you have this? In your church, you might as well put Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny <laughs> right next to it because they're all equally lies and equally turn people away from the trueness of who God is. Didn't Jesus say, blessed, greater are those who haven't seen my face? And we get to get this huge blessing upon us so our faith can be larger, and we jack it up by making a <laughs> fake picture of Jesus. It's like... And I can just see Jesus like, why are you doing this? I just can hear him say it like, oh, you brood of vipers. What yeah, are seriously. you doing? You know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't go that far. Dude, no, that, you're, oh, be, you're being like John the Baptist. That's John the Baptist. <laughs> That's what he said. And people still kept listening, which is crazy. <laughs> oh, it's frustrating. Oh. So <laughs> short, short answer is no. Can't ignore No, no, <laughs> no, can't do it. <laughs> So ha have you seen any effect from that? I mean, obviously, it it's curious, uh, your situation, you were placed in a church that that you're exceptionally, I mean, I, are you the only African-American at your church? No, 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 we're 60-40 we're now. Uh, we got, okay. uh, yeah, we're, we're at 75, and I think we're at maybe 20, 28, 30 black people maybe 26 black people and then you know the rest the rest white some hispanic and then you know if you want to be even more specific we got some caribbeans you know what i mean who are black by nature but they're not like african-american per se so but when you started were you was it mostly white yeah it was it was it was me it was one family and then chair and then charles yeah mostly white yeah. so your, your wife and you have you have three daughters right most definitely so so even in the midst of this, in three months in, you're talking about some serious stuff that people would be probably much more comfortable brushing under the rug. As a result, though, your church is still existing and has actually become more uh, ethnically diverse. Is that what I'm hearing? Most definitely. We, we're, we're, we're growing at a steady pace of 16 people per year, losing none. Um, and and the, I think that is through faithfulness to who Christ is instead of an image. <laughs> Man. Because I think it opens a door, and, and I think that opens a door in so many different aspects of faith. Man, but that that's not easy though. That's probably like no. that's probably the hardest tact you could take, right? That's the hardest path you could probably go down, which is exactly what Jesus warns us. He said, "Oh yeah, count the cost. Yeah, consider what it means before you start following. You're gonna have to deny yourself, take up your cross, which maybe this is Jacoby's specific cross, right? And follow me, and it's not gonna be easy." It's not, man. It's it's a it's a it's danger on every side for me, you know. To some black churches, I'm an uncle Tom because I'm not pastoring a black church, and man. to some white church, uh, is you know I'm a radical, and you know, in in college it, it sucked and it hurt me that that was what I was called, but now that I'm an adult and I just come to the fix like this is just who you know you like I don't want to say like I'm trying to be like you know Greco Roman and, and attach myself to Paul all the time, but. I do want to say this, that I feel kind of like him, and it says, like, okay, I'm in jail again, all right? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, great. Now I'm in trouble again. You know what I mean? I said <laughs> something I'm not supposed to say. Now I'm in jail because people are mad at me because, you know, I, I, I read sometimes out of the Jewish Bible. Oh, Jacoby, you're reading out of the Jewish Bible. Yes, so they switched God to, like, Adonai and Jehovah Raha and Jehovah Nisi. Oh, man, you know, sue me. Or I wear a tallit sometimes. Oh, that's tallit. That's Jewish. And I'm like, right. It is. But guess who else was a Jew? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> you know? So he had a Talit too. You're going to ostracize him? I'm sorry. He wasn't wearing it in the picture of Fabio Jesus. <laughs> and because it's not in that picture, he never wore it. Gotcha. Oh, man. Well, Joby, Jacoby, I'm super happy that you did not peace out when you were kind of facing some of that stuff. I think we need more Jacobys out there doing what, what you're doing. Um, this is... 
This has been – I'm going to ask you a final question, and I'm going to have you mull it over because we're going to do a share the love sponsor. But my final thought for you is how can we do this better? It's a really broad question, but maybe maybe we have some pastors or some people in churches that maybe this resonates with them, but they're maybe a little worried with just the simple addressing of, hey, why do we have white Jesus on the wall? Like how can we do this better? How can we start having these conversations lovingly? And with, you know, the optimistic outcome of maybe really having meaningful dialogue that would draw us into focusing more on just being like Jesus instead of trying to make Jesus like us. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that, and we're going to do our share the love uh, real quick because, because it's worth doing. Uh, both you and I are actually in this program. And I think Alicia, one of our guests was in this as well, but our share the love shout out. And we didn't ask permission, but I, I guess we can ask for forgiveness because that's Wesley and we'll just do that later if we need to. That'll be. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that when I suggested this. We'll just. Oh, th- that'll be next. That'll be next week. We'll just. Uh, I'm the apologize. talent. You're supposed to do all the background stuff. This is on you. Where's our yeah. producers? I don't know. Where's get, Moose? We'll it's get our. Fault. We'll get our interns on it. But anyways, <laughs> uh, our share the love shout out sponsor, whatever you want to call it, is the Compass Initiative. It is something that has given my family a lot of uh, hope, I would say. It's something that is for Nazarene pastors to help them with student debt uh there's a whole bunch of stuff wrapped up into it but ultimately if you go through this program it's a year-long thing you have to set some goals to get your financial house in order uh they will help with some student debt forgiveness and they're still accepting applications it's awesome i would highly recommend checking it out and i think it's just compassinitiative.org i will find the link and i'll put it in the description but i just wanted to shout them out because i think that's great in some small way maybe it's like our American version of Jubilee. I, I don't know. It's something, <laughs> it's something awesome. It's not the real thing, but it's close. So anyways, you've had time to think Jacoby. I don't know. I don't know what you, your thoughts are, but give us, give us a final thought. What's a better way. I think that uh, a better way is to, instead of, to me, instead of taking things and saying, well, we're going to do church differently. We're going to think outside the box. I think the accurate way, one thing we can do better is truly read for understanding and figure out what you inherited as a church, as the body of Christ in our years, you know, at our age or any age at this point, and figure out what is missing from the box and then start putting some pieces back in. Um, what, what is it that the church isn't doing that at the, the book of Acts clearly states is something we should do? And Really, as far as the Jesus thing, man, I think the only way we could do that is rip the Band-Aid off. Um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is imperative that the church gets serious about something because we're no longer the moral guide for the world anymore. We're now a political advocate instead of the moral guide. As Protestants, we know better than that. And um, the, the, the key thing is to rip the bandit off on these subjects and really get to the heart of people loving Christ for who he is and whose you are instead of how I identify with him, because that's never the case. Mm. And maybe, so maybe seriously consider the things he said as being serious as being what he actually meant that perhaps he meant what he said and we should take it seriously. Most definitely. Yeah. Read the Old Testament, Genesis. Abraham didn't see God. <laughs> you know what I mean? He saw angels and that's it. And, and, and that's even, you know, messengers. And, and, and he followed him and just said, go. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can't go five feet without Jesus and our fun our advisors. And, <laughs> and then, if you need that many reminders, do you really know him? I mean, I know my wife. I don't need that many pictures of her to know that I could point out her voice. I could smell her perfume in a room. You know, I was in Walmart the other day. Full of people. And I said, they're like, and I heard a whistle faintly. My kids goes, is that mom? Like, yeah, she's about five hours. Down. I knew exactly where she was. <laughs> so, Didn't need anything else because I know her. So focus, you know? focus on who Jesus is so much that you are literally able to, to recognize the scent of, of following him almost. And just so intimately aware of his word that you just embody it totally. You don't need a picture reminder in your wallet of it. Right. Awesome. Jacoby, I super appreciate it, man. This has been great. Oh, man, that was fun. It was fun, man. I, I really appreciate it. I know that I'm going to be back into the, the, the jailhouse on this. Can't wait to read the comments. <laughs> but, uh, 
Well, well, we can be sure we're, we're going to share it, man. So be sure to share it so we can we can share that with you. Um, we will we will post this. We post this on our Facebook page. We have it on Instagram, on Twitter. You can follow this millennial pastor thing on all those social media accounts. You can subscribe to this podcast. I, you can rate it. You can review it. You can do that, I guess, if you want to. Byron said he would like it to be positive. I'm just kind of I mean, like, preferably, but I mean, if we're <laughs> terrible, I guess you can tell us. You can let us know. We are, we're definitely not professionals, and we, we revel in that. But we're, we're trying to tell stories. That's what we're doing here. So and thank you story, again for coming on to share part of your story. That, that was awesome, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it, Jacoby. But as always, if you want to hear more about what millennials like Jacoby think – or you like hearing about the faith-based work they're doing in their cultures and contexts, then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. We'll see you next time.